0: Log Talk Radio. Well, hello there, Doctor Ross Green here. It's that time again must be 11 a.m. Eastern Time on a Monday, because that's when we do this. Parenting Your Challenging Child is on the air live, coming to you straight from the offices of Lies in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, as always. Um, today is a great day to call in. I've got a bunch of email lined up, and thanks for emailing everybody. Um, this is a great way for people to be in touch um, and to get their questions answered and to learn more about the model and to get help with anything they're struggling with with their behaviorally challenging kids so don't be shy and don't be shy about calling in three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one is the number um because today's just a now of course we have a parents panel next week Um, And then, since we take the summer off, and since um, Memorial Day here in the United States is the last Monday of the month of May, I think we only have three or four of these programs left before the program takes a break for the summer and we come back and do it all over again in September. So. That call-in number again, 347 But we have no callers at the moment, so we are going to start with some email. Uh, Dr. Green, my daughter fits the initial scenario in your book, The Explosive Child, to a T. And we've been challenged, and of course, this is me inserting my own thought here. Uh, that's the waffle episode Jennifer blowing up because her brother wanted to eat three frozen waffles from the freezer and Jennifer was reserving those frozen waffles for the next day. Proof that it could be anything. It could be anything. In the waffle episode, it was waffles. Now let me stop inserting myself into this email and get this back rolling again. We've been challenged with her explosive nature since the beginning. Ah, one of those kids. Some, I'm inserting again, Hmm. Uh, some, but you may know this already, some behaviorally challenging kids are angelic as infants. They don't start becoming challenging when the demand's of the world start to outstrip the skills they have to respond adaptively to those demands. And some infants come into the world well-equipped to handle the demands that are placed on infants, and others aren't. And it's the parents of those others who I often hear. They've been challenged with her explosive nature since the beginning. It's all a matter of when the demands start to outstrip the skills a kid has to respond adaptively those demands. Um, We are trying to implement Plan B, but have a question which can be best asked by describing a scenario. This morning I could tell my daughter came downstairs grumpy. I'm going to insert one more time. I'm sorry I keep doing this today, but I don't seem to be able to help myself. I'm going to be reading this to you all over the air, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be thinking about. I've read this already, but I actually don't remember it. I'm going to be thinking to myself, is this, first of all, what is the unsolved problem? Have we identified it? And secondly, I'm going to assume that it was predictable. Anytime I'm hearing a scenario, the scenario is usually about a kid blowing up, getting upset i'm asking not what could we do in the heat of the moment but how can we make this predictable cuz it is predictable here we go after going over and giving her a hug and deciding With her, what to wear, I sent her to get dressed while I made her breakfast. She threw me a nasty look as she headed back upstairs, so I sat down with her and mentioned she looked like something was bothering her this morning and went through a list of trying to gather information, something going on at school today, did you have a bad dream, to which she said, nothing's wrong, and got up and stomped back to the kitchen. At this point, she started criticizing her brothers and making fun of them for no apparent reason, telling them they're stupid and crybabies. My question is this: How do I manage this behavior now? Can't allow my sons to be treated in such a way. And if I knew, and I knew, if I took her out of the room, we'd be in explosion mode. What do I do in the moment? All right. Thank you for writing in. It's a excellent question. Um, but I told you what I was going to be thinking about whenever i hear about a scenario what was the unsolved problem was it predictable now i'll say how we say 99.9% of unsolved problems are predictable could this have been a unpredictable one yes was it only you know for sure you'd have to decide how and i promise to answer what would you do in the moment But 99.9% of the time, what you're going to be doing is not going to be in the heat of the moment. The answer to what you do in the moment is, and some people find this to be not a terribly satisfactory answer, defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. But that is what you do in the heat of the moment. Because what happened in this situation is something that happens in many heat of the moment situations. Because of the added heat and the rush... It is very hard to do Plan B. It's very hard to solve a problem collaboratively um, doing Plan B. Now, that doesn't mean I'd recommend Plan A. I'd recommend defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. That's what I'd recommend. Um, You don't want to be in the heat of the moment. There's another thing you can do in the heat of the moment, figure out, what we missed, what we failed to prioritize so that we don't find ourselves in the heat of the moment again the next time so that we can get that problem solved before it comes up again. So the big question, does your daughter come downstairs grumpy with some reliability? Now, what does some reliability mean? A lot of people think that if an unsolved problem doesn't occur with 100% reliability, it's not predictable. Not true. It's predictable if it increases the likelihood of a challenging episode, even if that only happens mm, one out of t- every ten times. If your daughter's coming downstairs grumpy one out of every ten times, and it's causing her to get up and stomp back to the kitchen and criticize her brothers and make fun of them for no un- apparent reason, telling them they're stupid and crybabies, that's predictable even if it's not happening every single time. What do you do in the heat of the moment? Defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. What do you do after that? Figure out what unsolved problem set in motion that challenging episode, get it solved proactively so you don't find yourself in the heat of the moment the next time. See, once an unsolved problem has set in motion a challenging episode once, it's not unpredictable anymore. It's predictable. But I have this feeling, this is just my gut instinct, I could be wrong. I think your daughter comes downstairs grumpy for breakfast. Mm, Predictably. Not every single morning. Um... The next question, on the times when your daughter has told you what was the matter, when she's been grumpy in the morning, if she's been been grumpy in the morning before, and I'm, I'm betting on it, what has it been? So that at least if you have to do some educated guessing, it's educated guessing. But you'd rather be doing your educated guessing in the empathy step proactively than emergently. Some kids just are too far gone and can't think and can't give you the information you're looking for. I get it. It's not always predictable. But once it happens, once it is, I hope that answers. Question. Thank you very much for emailing. Now, by the way, if you don't have your list, the list of unsolved problems that you have identified on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, I guess here's the key point. If this, you're just getting started with Plan B, I hope. 99.9% of your plan B is proactive, not emergent. So I'm hoping this is not an example of the timing on which you're doing most of your plan Bs. So that's perhaps the most important point. You don't want to be doing your plan Bs emergently. You want to be doing them proactively. Crucial. Um, If you're doing them emergently because you're not familiar with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, you'll find it in the paperwork section, in the resources section, on the Lives in the Balance website, livesinthebalance.org. And um, like everything else on the Lives in the Balance website, it's not going to cost you anything. I'm not going in any particular order here. Here's a nice one that... Um, I just thought I would read before we answer another one. Hi, Dr. Green. I began to read the book Lost at School. A cousin of mine who lives in Maine talked to me about this book. I am a mom just like Joey's mom. Now I have hope. My boy is 11 years of age and a fifth grader. I am struggling with many situations in the past years. I'm tired. Reading this book, I see a light now. We live in Puerto Rico. I look for help, but nobody knows how to manage a challenging child. My boy is now attending his third school. At the last meeting, the teachers recommended to change my boy to another school, fourth school. He is diagnosed with ADHD, ODD, mood disorder, disruptive behavior, and has a mitochondrial disorder. The psychiatric pills, six, make terrible effects on him. I think it is a very good idea to make a workshop for teachers and parents here in Puerto Rico. I would be happy to do that in a heartbeat. Thank you very much for taking the time to write a book like this. Thank you very much for taking the time to email me. Um, I would be delighted to go to Puerto Rico. I'd be delighted to go just about anywhere to help People learn about how to understand and help behaviorally challenging kids. Any kid, quite frankly. Here's another one. Callers, once again, uh, 347-994-2981. I'm not going to run the email here, but this is a good day to call if you feel like it. Dr. Green, can the ALSIP be used effectively, the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, with children who are significantly cognitively delayed? For example, a full-scale IQ of 50 or less. The quick answer, why not? The more explicit answer, um, well, you're not using the Alsip with the kid anyways most of the time. Occasionally people do that with older kids who can provide some input on their lagging skills and unsolved problems, but... Generally speaking, that's not the way the ALSEP is used. Generally speaking, the LSUP, um facilitates an adult discussion about a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems. Do Now, before I ask the question, um, an IQ of 50 or less doesn't necessarily tell me much. Never has. I, I know what you mean. It's not. doesn't tell us that much. Um, so could it be slightly difficult to identify the kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems? Yeah. Can it be slightly difficult to identify the lagging skills and unsolved problems of a kid with an IQ of 140? Yeah. So the IQ part doesn't um, push me one way or the other on... It doesn't, doesn't push me to not use the Alsa, but now let me ask the question. Do kids with a full-scale IQ of 50 or less have lagging skills? Yep. Do they have unsolved problems? Yep. Do kids with full-scale IQs of 50 or less, are they a little bit harder sometimes to figure out what those unsolved problems are because they're not telling us? because they don't have the language processing and communication skills to do it. Yep, but I work with lots of kids who we haven't really yet figured out what their unsolved problems are. And what I find is that in kids who have IQs of 50 or less, we basically still have to go through the thing we would go through with a kid whose IQ is 140. We've still got to put the hard work into thinking about what skills is this kid lacking, under what conditions do those lagging skills seem to be causing this kid difficulty and setting in motion challenging episodes? You've got to do that with a kid with an IQ of 140. You've got to do that with a kid whose IQ is 50 or less. And you've got to do it with every kid in between. That's what we've got to do. Um, I think I have nothing more to say about that. Yes, I do think the assessment of la- I've seen the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems used productively in kids with IQs of 50 or less, as well as in kids whose IQs are spread across the spectrum of IQs. Here's another email. Uh, Dr. Green, I'm not- sure what you, I'm wondering what you have to say about the constant bickering between siblings the teasing that leads to events the parent misses nobody done it and to enormous frustration for the multitasking parent I have three boys and I don't immediately see how sitting down and asking them it seems that you all have difficulty treating each other well what's up will work do you have any advice before I try this Uh, Thank you for your lecture. Uh, This person attended a lecture that I did uh, fairly recently. There was much that inspired me to change the way I interact with everyone around me. I'm delighted about that. Now, thank you for your email, and here's the answer to your question. You have an unsolved problem. There is, it's quite clear that your, did you say you had three boys? you did. Your three boys have difficulty getting along together sometimes. Now, I, the first thing I would do is I would make that more specific. W- when do they have difficulty getting along? Is this watching TV together? Is this um, sharing toys together? I don't know how old they are. Rereading here. Nope. Um playing toys together, playing outside together, playing a game together, those would be all distinct unsolved problems. Distinct unsolved problems. Um, And you don't want to try to work on difficulty getting along together as as in a clumped way. It's too broad. It's too global. And it usually causes often, not usually, but often causes kids to say, I don't know, because it's too broad. When we ask them about difficulty getting along together, we're asking them about every different scenario in which they get along together, and I'm betting that there's an excellent possibility they're having difficulty getting along together when they're watching TV for reasons that are different than the reasons they're having difficulty getting along together when they're playing with Legos, which are different than the reasons they're having difficulty get along together when they're playing a game. So I'm appreciating the fact that you are a multitasking parent. Um, These days that goes with the territory. Probably always has, but probably worse these days than ever. But by splitting the unsolved problem into separate, distinct scenarios... You're setting the stage to work, on with this on, to work on this with them, to solve it proactively. So I'm, I'm agreeing with you on one part. I don't think that if this is what you meant. If when they're having difficulty getting along together, that's the timing of your attempt to gather information, uh, that's much lower odds than trying to gather the information about a specific instance in which they have difficulty getting along together proactively. Then hmm, you're setting aside a specific time to do that, a time when you're not multitasking, a time when you're focused only on initially at least gathering information from each of the three parties, your three boys, on what's going on, what their concerns are, what their perspective is, what's getting in the way on the unsolved problem you choose to talk with them about proactively. Um, One good way to get rid of multitasking is to try to solve problems proactively and to set aside a time to do it. And you may even want to give them advance warning of what it is that you want to talk with them about. Otherwise, even though you're doing this proactively, you're springing the topic on them and it feels like it's still emergent to them, even though it's not the heat of the moment. Now, one more tip. I would not do the empathy step with them all together, especially if you're new at this, and especially if they're new at this. I would meet with each of them separately Now you're thinking, he hasn't forgotten that I'm a multitasking parent, has he? Um, He knows I'm short on time here, right? He knows. He also knows, or at least suspects, because this is the way it always is, that the amount of time you put into doing Plan B and getting this problem solved finally is going to be a lot less than the amount of time you're spending dealing with it Because it's unsolved. Do the empathy step with them separately because they may have difficulty early on letting each other talk, hearing what each other is saying without disagreeing. Do it separately first and then when you've got the concerns of all the parties um, in your head, you might want to let them know what your concern is And then, with each of them separately, now that you've heard the concerns of each party, explore potential solutions with them separately as well. Now, you don't have to do that part separately. You don't got to do the empathy step separately either, but I would recommend it early on because they're just not in the Plan B habit yet. A lot of that interrupting, by the way, that goes on, when people aren't used to Plan B, is people who are, this could be adults too, scared that their concerns are about to get blown off the table so they feel need to interrupt because they feel like the other person's concerns are going to be heard and their concerns aren't. But once they've done, once people are in a Plan B habit, um, they know their concerns are eventually going to be heard and they become much calmer in the midst of the other person airing their concerns. truth is, over time, since they are quite certain they're going to get their own concerns heard, not only are they allowing space for someone the other party to express their concerns, they're actually listening because they're not scared of the other's concerns, and not scared that theirs won't be heard, and not scared that their concerns will be blown off the table, and not scared that their concerns won't get addressed a whole lot easier to listen to somebody else's concerns under those conditions. If you feel that, when you feel the time is right to put the three together, whether it's to lay all the concerns on the table and begin brainstorming solutions, or if it's after you've already talked with them about solutions and feel that this is, you know, how politicians and uh, dignitaries get together to sign agreements, but the deal's already done. This is just the formal agreement signing. You might be doing some shuttle diplomacy here early on until you get a plan B habit going in your family. And people are accustomed to the process. Their concerns will be heard. The other person's concerns will be heard, and they'll listen. And they're not threatened by all that, because it's not just their concerns we're trying to get addressed. It's the other party's concerns as well. And it just takes time to get into a Plan B habit and have people not be threatened by all the stuff that they would have been threatened by if you were doing plan A when they were getting their concerns blown off the table and their concerns weren't getting addressed. We have an email from one of our listeners here. With regard to the first email, try not to focus on the daughter's behavior as Dr. Green is saying, folk figure out the unsolved problem proactively and then use Plan B. Our son was highly explosive and had lots of unsolved problems, but first and foremost, civility to his siblings and parents was a priority in our house. It took a while, but as we slowly solved the problems with Plan B and taught him a vocabulary to better express his feelings, life in our home improved greatly Here's another email. When you discard conventional wisdom, change your perceptions, and rethink the children, we are able to repair relationships and help. Kids do well if they can. Good to get email from people who are listening to the program. All right, here's an interesting one. and it's, it's fascinating. I think I might have said this before, but um, when you hear this email, you, um, you're going to be hearing from the parent of an adolescent wondering if the model can be applied to a younger kid. I get just as many from people who think the model is primarily geared to younger kids. Can it be applied to adolescents? Here's one of those. Hi, Dr. Green. Just finished reading your book, The Explosive Child. After it being recommended to me during a parenting group this past weekend, it seems like most of the examples that I've read so far deal with young children. My daughter is 15 years old, and we have had an extremely challenging year. Most of our arguments stem from the way she dresses, does her makeup and hair, and her current choice of friends. Do your methods apply to teens that are trying to look older than they really are? Well, I don't know if that's the unsolved problem but i do get it you are um you have some concerns about how your daughter is about your daughter's physical appearance well so, but first of all the answer to your question i i quite frankly can't think of anything i would do in terms of solving problems with an adolescent than to solve those problems collaboratively i I'm at a loss there. I don't know what else I would do except this. But, of course, I can't think of what I would do with a 2- or 3-year-old who had a problem that needed to be solved either. But this is what you really want to be. Sometimes you can get away with it with a 2- or 3-year-old. You can tell a 2- or 3-year-old what to do, and it won't get that ugly, of course. There are 2- or 3-year-olds out there who it would get very ugly, so we can't make a blanket statement about that. But if you got a 15-year-old... You need info. You want a kid talking to you badly. You want to know what's going on. You want them to feel comfortable talking to you. You want to know what's going on in their lives. This is exactly what I would be doing with a 15 year old because you want to know. Um, but I have, in recent memory, had this facilitated, this very discussion between an adolescent girl and her parents. It wasn't quite exactly the same. Um, it was about dating. She's younger and has boys who are now interested in her. She, want her. she is entertaining the idea that having a boyfriend might be a pretty cool thing. And in the empathy step, we wanted to know what that meant. What does it mean to have a boyfriend at the age of 13? What what do 13-year-old girls do with a boyfriend? What are her thoughts on that? And um, what, do, what did she think the boy who is thinking that he might like her to be his girlfriend? What, what does she know about his thoughts, about what he has in mind for having a girlfriend? And by the end of this discussion... We actually didn't have a problem to solve in this instance. And this is not what you're hoping for, by the way. It could have broken in a different way. Um, But by the end of the discussion, she was agreeing that she didn't want to have a boyfriend right now. In your case, this is not about dating. This is um, choice of friends. That's one unsolved problem. And you're going to have to think about how you want to word that one. And um, physical appearance. And um, we'd have to think about how we want to word those unsolved problems. You'll have to think about what your expectations are in those realms. What are your expectations about the friends she she hangs out with and The fact that you're telling me that you're not pleased with her current choice of friends tells me that she's having difficulty meeting your expectations about who her friends should be. But you'll have to think about how you want to word that. What are your expectations about who she hangs out with? What are your expectations of her physical appearance? But I would split those. Those are two different unsolved problems. And just to repeat myself, on both those counts, you want to know. And until you know where you're coming from, this problem won't get solved. I suppose you could ground her. That would be plan A. You could lock her in her room. That would be plan A. But good luck on both of those. With a 15-year-old? Why do I say that? Because I've worked with 15-year-olds who climbed out the window. you got to sleep. This is the interesting thing about plan A. You do too much plan A, kids are going to find a way around A. And they will find a way around A. You do B, you're getting the information you badly want to have. Um, And y'all are working together. And you're communicating. And I think those are some of the... you're, You're creating a helping relationship. Those are the ingredients that get problems solved thank you very much uh, now is your life about to be dramatically easier I don't know You've got a 15 year old daughter <laughs> um, could your life be about to get better maybe we'll find out but I think now you know the ingredients that you're looking for to make it happen. All right, here's another nice one before we move on to another. Uh, Dr. Green, I'm a disability speech specialist, speech pathologist. Uh, In Washington, I have been running trainings on positive behavior support for more than 10 years. However, reading your books has changed my understanding and approach in more ways than I can ever express with words. Thank you so much for the amazing work that you do. Thank you so much for writing. Those are always nice ones. I read them not to uh, congratulate myself. That's not my style. But just to let folks know that there's a lot going on out there and a lot of minds being changed and a lot of good things happening. Here we go. Dr. Green, here's another. I have a six-year-old who has who had terrible fits. I tried everything. Should I give you the phone number again? We might have time for a call, but it might be too late, but you can try if you want to. We have about 10 minutes left. 347-994-2981. Just another reminder, we've got the parents panel next week. Um, And then only a few more programs left. Dr. Green, I have a six-year-old who had terrible fits. I tried everything. The Explosive Child book was life-saving for me. She is a different child. Very sweet. Those fits are a distant memory. I am delighted. That was an insertion there. I had avoided inserting for a while there, but now I'm back. My second child is almost three and starting down the same path as her sister, although she's never been quite as violent. I've tried the method, but she's just too young. She doesn't understand the concept. Any suggestions for her, probably here we go. Thank you for your email um, but yeah I mean in the same way that I was saying that a kid with an i q below fifty has lagging skills and unsolved problems um a three year old has lagging skills and unsolved problems now. I don't know which edition of The Explosive Child you read for your six-year-old, but maybe it was one in which I didn't place quite so much emphasis on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and doing Plan B proactively. I don't know, but there's one place I'd start. Um, I don't know if she has to understand the concept. She has to understand that you are deeply interested in figuring out what's the matter and deeply interested in seeing if there's a way to try to solve the problem together. That's all she really needs to understand. But conceptually, she doesn't have to get There's three steps that this is solving a problem collaboratively it doesn't have to get all that, but the whole process would be made a lot easier. And I, I don't know why I have this inkling, but, and once again, maybe I'm wrong. You don't want to be doing Plan B with a 3-year-old emergently. You don't want to be doing Plan B with a 15-year-old emergently either. You don't want to be doing Plan B emergently. But you need your list of unsolved problems to decide which two or three you want to start working on and to make sure that you're doing this proactively. So there's one place that I would start. Um, Is there anything about the number three that would make me say that you can't try to figure out what's getting in uh, her way? Um, Try to find out what's getting in the way. Try to work together on coming up with a solution. Nothing about the number three makes me think you can't do that. Might there be some things about your three-year-old that could be making Plan B difficult to do? Anything's possible, but I don't know. If you've got a pretty standard three-year-old, she doesn't have to get it conceptually. She just needs to know, well, the things that I just said she needs to know. You're very invested in trying to figure out what's the matter on a specific unsolved problem, and if you are having, if you're if you're not as well versed as you'd like to be on what it means to come up with a specific unsolved problem, you want to go to the uh, walking tour for parents on the Lives in the Balance website, and the second section teaches you all about identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems. And in fact, I think that's what that section is called. And through audio programming, you'll know how to do it so that you can make this entire enterprise proactive. And so if you've been doing this proactively anyways already, then at the very least, you'll know how to word a specific unsolved problem. And if you've been doing that great already, then you may need to call into the program so that I get a better sense of your three-year-old and might be able to help you further than what I've said already. Uh, From one of our listeners, our therapist explained that girls are much more comfortable exposing more skin than we women were back in the day. It's not what I expected for how my daughter would dress but I thought there were bigger fish to fry on the unsolved problem list, so we focused on the more important unsolved problem, which there were lots to choose from with a 15-year-old daughter. However, a few Plan B proactive discussions helped with adjusting her style of dressing, so apparently that listener prioritized early on for her the way her daughter was dressing didn't make it into the top priority list. That may not be the case for our emailer. She gets to decide. But good to know that Plan B helped with how she dressed eventually. I will say, um, as the proud father of a 16-year-old daughter, There's no question girls these days are... Oh, now, wait a second. Uh, Girls in my day wore tank tops. There was skin. Maybe there's even more skin now. I'm not sure. I really hadn't thought about it. Think about it with my 16-year-old daughter. Um... Unfortunately, she's not hugely big on skin. So that's not an unsolved problem in our family. We have other unsolved problems. Let me pick one more email here. We've gone through the ones I had prepared for the day. And now we are going to pick one from the list of ones. Oh, I like this one very much. My daughter is an explosive child, five years old, soon six years old. Will she have these problems all of her life? I have no idea. And it depends a little bit on what you mean by problems. Might some of the lagging skills stick around? Yep. Can we improve them? Does she have to be world-class better in all areas of lagging skills to lead an adaptive, productive life? Nope. Will the unsolved problems stick around? Uh, Not if you solve them collaboratively now. Truth is, that's my same answer to the lagging skills. If we do the right thing now. Figure out what her lagging skills are.
1: Figure out what her
0: unsolved problems are. Um, start solving those problems collaboratively. Get those lagging skills taught. I'm optimistic that she's not going to be an explosive child forever. Now, you're getting a very generic answer There may be some things about your daughter that are going to make that road really difficult for you. There may be something about your daughter that's going to make it hard for her to participate in the process of solving problems collaboratively. So there's the caveat. I don't know your daughter, but I've worked with many parents who were wondering if their kid was going to be this way forever. What you're doing is you're taking it one week and one month at a time. uh, Forever makes some parents panic. You know, they've got a five-year-old who's having a lot of uh, explosive outbursts and they are already projecting to when the kid's going to be 15. You don't want to do that. Um, But you want to start identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems now. You want to start solving problems collaboratively now and see if you can incrementally make next month better than this one and the one after that better than the one that came before it. And generally speaking, once again, having not met your child, generally speaking, um, I'm usually quite optimistic about what kids are going to look like when they're 18 and for the rest of their lives. Here's the neat part. Uh, You're not sentenced to anything. You can do something about lagging skills and unsolved problems, which is why this whole way of thinking is also very empowering. It looks like that's going to do us for today. Thanks for listening in. Um, I hope you've discovered that you can find all of the most recent radio programs in the What's New section on the Lives in a Balance website. Once again, back again next week with the Parents Panel. Can't wait. Talk to you then.